Welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast 60 million years in the making. <laughs> Don't get the, back in the jungle. This is going to be the longest podcast ever. Just when you thought it was safe to go to a Spielberg movie. <laughs> there. And in the jungle. <laughs> I already said that. <laughs> Reference times two. Good evening and welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast, where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis of movies from our private collections, and one who tries desperately to keep up will let you decide which host is which, but for now, my name is Sean, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Jeremiah. Sean is the host. What up, yo? Eddie. Just jump! Jump! And Brandon. Oh. Shooter! Clever Shoot. girl. Clever girl. With every review, we tell you how many drinks it takes to get through each movie selection. At the end of the podcast, I'll rate the movie based on a scale of zero to five. Zero is the perfect film you can watch Stone Cold Sober, and five is a terrible film that Nedry can't get up the hill to enjoy. <laughs> so, was that a bad uh, 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 one? You didn't say that uh, uh, word. <laughs> In addition to our review, we generally pair our selection with a cocktail that we hope will enhance the viewing experience. We invite you now to shake, stir, or mix the cocktail that we've chosen and settle in for what we hope will be an engaging review. With that, Brandon, what uh, is our first movie on our book category? Is the book about this? Tonight, as we enjoy movies based on novels, we jump into Steven Spielberg, shocking, massive success Jurassic Park. We follow paleontologists Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and Ellie Sattler, played by Laura Dern. Technically, she was a, uh, a bio-paleontologist. Bio and mathematician slash chaotician Ian Malcolm, played by the one, the only, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. As they tour an island theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA through mosquitoes. While the park's... <laughs> Why do you say it like that? I wanted to be a little bit less white. While the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, played by the one, the only, the dead Richard Attenborough. <laughs> Damn. Isn't it Dr. Hammond? Is he Dr. No, he's though? not a doctor. He's oh. just rich. He's rich. Okay. Uh, he assures everyone that the facility is safe. They find out otherwise when various ferocious predators break free and go on the hunt. <laughs> As we mentioned, with each movie, we try to pair the tone, feel, and overall impact of the story of the cocktail. Sometimes a drink will be referenced directly in the film, and other times a drink will be simply inspired by the film. Tonight's is Sean's favorite movie. Uh, he <laughs> is the lead of the cocktail. Sean. Well, it's not my favorite movie, but it is one of my favorite movies. So tonight we're taking a page out of uh, the Costa Rican handbook and going with a Jurassic Julep, mm -hmm. which is essentially a peach version of a mint julep. It's a peach. Uh, it's mm. absolutely Sounds delicious. Oh, no, it's so fantastic. Good. <clears throat> Take a sip. Ed. What you'll like need water. is bourbon, mint, mint syrup, peach schnapps, and lemon lime soda. Snap. Uh, we hope you can sit back and hold on to your butts as we enjoy this delicious cocktail. Brandon, take us through the review. So to give you a little background on our selection process for the second season, we're going to be reviewing movies that we, however, tenuously can link together by theme, actors, or subject, or in this case, books. Again, we are trying to keep to our mandate and review movies that shape how stories have been told throughout time and even how we think that they're going to be told on the screen in the future. 
So we won't be talking about the movie straight through. Instead, where a lot of our conversations flow naturally. That said, we'll be touching on different film aspects, including plot, characters, direction, director of photography, and anything else that might come up. Cinematographically, this movie is fantastic. I think this movie is just fantastic, period. So let's start with uh, kind of the setup. So you've got an incident at the park, Jurassic Park, um, uh, where a workman gets killed while they're trying to transfer a raptor. It always seems like it happens. Anyone else think that's the smallest raptor cage? Just wondering. I thought it was pretty big. I mean, it's only a single raptor. Mm. It is a her. There's a small cage for Shoot her. Shoot her. For a predator like that. Anyway, so essentially what happens is there's a lawsuit against the park, and in order to get it certified to open, we've got to have a couple of scientists or paleontologists and a, uh, what is a paleobotanist? And a chaotician. And a chaotician to sign off on the park that it's a place that, you know, that can be open. This is the first five minutes of the movie you just got kind of like hooked in again. You're just like, oh shit, I'm like seriously like 11 years old. Well, the so, very beginning, you know, how everyone was, was just eight. looking at uh, the tree, yeah. right? And everyone was just looking at the tree, and there was this. All of a sudden, you didn't know what was behind the tree, and it was, it was just like this slow motion of like you have all the workers, and they're looking at the tree. Jacob, my son, he boned out. He's like too scary. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait! I'm gonna stop right now yeah. because my kid couldn't make it through Jaws, little bitch. But he <laughs> sat there, <laughs> eyes open. Noah loved it, yeah. and drooling excitement. Yeah. For Jurassic Park, I was I was I've never been more proud of my kid. Even when he walked and I spoke agree. and said "dad, dad," <laughs> no, no. But when he sat through Jurassic Park and was like, "I love this," yeah. I said, "I love you, kid." I agree. But I you agree. just said that your kid got scared. No, no, Jacob. 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 Oh, Jacob. I have two. I'm sorry, you have two. I have two boys. Yes. Yeah, my 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 Jacob youngest, uh, she was not having this. <laughs> it's also past her bedtime, and she's ten months. What was the first time you actually got to see this movie? I was in theaters. I was eight. Oh, yeah, but like you know, do you remember your? Do you remember this? Oh, I remember movie theater experience. It was the first, like, adultish movie that I went and saw in theaters. Yeah, I went to go see it with my grandfather, and I remember sitting in the theater, um, and I've been really indoctrinated into all the big monster movies when I was a kid. So, like, Them, which was basically blown up ants, or, or the tarantulas, or whatever it was. There was Them, uh, yeah. yeah. There's just a ton of these old, big monster movies that I had grown up watching. What about The Ring? The, not The Ring. No, okay, shoot. <laughs> so, um, when this came out, this was like a reinvention of these big I thought a big monster movie. So I thought it was going to be like Jaws. I thought it was going to be scary. I thought it was going to be um, and d- kind of in that vein. And and what it was was just a spectacle. It was just, it, you believed like dinosaurs really fucking existed on the planet. Again. I remember this was like my very first, or this was our very first summer blockbuster phenomenon that we didn't even know what was going on with it. You know, like this was like Jurassic Park everywhere. Shirts, you know, lunch bells. You know, it was just, I just remember going in there and Eddie and I being in the theaters and just remember just saying, like, this is like a life-changing experience, man. Like, seriously, we all want to be dinosaurs after this. There wasn't many dinosaur movies before 1993. No. Good, great ones like this that made you realize, like, okay, did they just make dinosaurs for this movie? Like, is this real life? Do we have this now going on? Like, it made you feel like, and it's a theme park, so it made you also feel like, okay, like, this made me feel like I was at Disneyland Wanting to like have my dreams of seeing the dinosaur in front of me uh, before my eyes is like, is this possible? It was ahead of its time in '93. I feel like mm-hmm. for Spielberg to actually think of this and actually put this on screen. Well, it's cool seeing my my you know five year old. He and I mentioned this before, but he doesn't know that movies are aren't real. Like he thinks that everything is documentary and that everything yes. is real. And so when he sees dinosaurs, he says 
I thought they all died. I thought they all got extinct. And I said, well, buddy, no, they're real. <laughs> and there they are. So I play into that. Um, so sorry in the future when you watch this. Gotcha. But uh, no, to me, it, it was the same feeling, even though when I, when I saw it, I was seven or eight and I knew that it was movie, you know, movie magic. You're right, Ed. You don't remember it because it's so well done. And the CGI was so ahead of its time. Um, do I think that the CGI has held up over time? Some of it, no. Some of it, no. And I was a little bit disappointed because I haven't seen this movie in probably six or seven years. So watching it again, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in the CGI compared to now. But again, if we think about where it came from, 1993, before it was all, you know, green screened and, and able, I mean, that one scene where they're running through the field is still, to me, one of the most important scenes in all film history. I love the fact, and let's talk about the genesis of like the, how the story came because we're doing like authors, right? And this is uh, a book from what's his name, Michael Crichton, uh, Michael Crichton, who's done like you know Westworld, he's done uh, Jurassic Park, and he also how this movie was started is that him and Spielberg were creating that TV show ER, and he actually decided to do this project before that, and it just just it changed everything how we think of just how a movie could be made well if we're gonna look at our mandate which is kind of how how movies uh are are told on screen how they'll be told in the future this movie is the quintessential uh, integration of cgi and stop motion and animatronic this is the first time you'd actually seen digital creatures on screen that were believable and not laughable and just took over your imagination you could literally do anything and when Steven Spielberg sat down to do this movie, I just watched a beautiful documentary on HBO where he talked about it a little bit on uh, Jurassic Park. Um, he was going to do it all stop motion. And uh, he actually hired the stop motion team. They did all the stop motion stuff. And a guy came from ILM, which was George Lucas's company for uh, Industrial Light Magic. And he said, hey, can you come over to the office and look at this? And it was just a skeleton of a dinosaur. It was a Gallimimus running through the field. And he, George, or, and uh, Steven Spielberg said, "This is this is it. This is the new. It's here." Like, and George Lucas even has commented, "This is the moment where everyone kind of realized that technology had finally caught up with imagination." Yeah, yeah, and, and that's yeah. that's something that doesn't hit more than a couple of times in in, in you know a, a generation, and it seems to be hitting more these days because you had like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and, but this was the first. This was the first. This is the time. reason why George Lucas actually it's like, hey, I can actually do the prequels of Star Wars. And well, I think like that, that Star Wars did so much to to push forward um, special effects in movies. But I think you're right. This is the first time that we got a glimpse of what movies could do. And I think that, I mean, without this movie, I really don't think that we would have half the movies and half the special effects and half the things that we can do now in today's movies. I feel like the last time this was actually touched before this movie was Jaws. Like, it was Jaws, and then I felt like, personally, I felt like there was this long gap of something else besides that, like a scary monster that you 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 learned about in school and you, you appreciated, but you never really got to see in the movie. So, I mean, for me, the last thing before for dinosaurs was The Land Before Time well, I think, at eight yeah. years old. But I do like, think that, was that it. Alien did a whole lot with special I wasn't effects. allowed to watch that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, but you had Alien, I you was. had <laughs> E.T., you had a bunch of movies in between that really, I think what you're talking about, Eddie, is they relied on physical physical elements to, to create unknown things. This is the first time we saw something of this scale. You actually saw a dinosaur, a fucking huge yeah. brachiosaur on screen and it looked uh, you saw the T Rex as a villain. Right. Like the like oh, the no, like as the savior. Also like uh, like the Great White as a villain for Jaws. Like it was like okay like you, you, you love it but at the same time you gotta freaking appreciate and it made you realize well, like okay like I'm like I can't just be 
I can't be so innocent coming up to this Let movie. me ask you, do you remember in Jaws at the end when the shark saved them from the giant octopus? You're going to need a bigger No. Boat. So let's set it up a little bit. So we've got uh, Montana, Dig. We've got Alan, two, two characters, Alan and Ellie. They're the paleontologists and the paleobotanist. And uh, they're visited by Mr. Hammond, which is played absolutely beautifully by Richard Attenborough. And to me, this, this scene really sets up um, your expectations. So you've got Sam Neill, who I think is one of the most underrated actors out there. Uh, and he's telling the kid the story about a velociraptor and he's <laughs> describing, yeah, motherfucking kid. describing how they're, they eat, how they fucking kill you. Is that Owen from Dress World? I don't think it is. There's a lot of myths saying yeah. that's Owen from Dress World. Uh, on a side note, though, do you know that um, uh, Chris Pratt's son, Jack? Yeah thinks that the real Owen works at Universal Studios and the Raptor. <laughs> no, I don't and know. The, that. And Owen and, and Chris Pratt just played him in the movie. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> Let's talk about Jeff Goldblum. Mm-mm. Jeff Goldblum as well. But um I was gonna say Alan Grant in telling him this in telling the story, he set up your expectations for the visceralness, I think, of the of the dinosaurs. How they were gonna physically attack foreshadowing people, yeah. Yeah, foreshadowing how they were going to attack people <laughs> no i do want to talk about one thing uh that i actually f- i don't say i forgot because i don't think i really noticed it um you know and as, as we get older we see different things in movies uh especially when we re- revisit it after a lot of time and something that that i just couldn't stop thinking about the whole time i was watching the movie and then after it finished uh for a couple of days is jeff goldblum's character and the brilliance that he you know his thoughts i think uh, in a lot of ways, he's the only logical and thoughtful character in the entire thing. And maybe it's because he's he's an outside scientist, right? He's not somebody who's caught up in the dinosaur mythos that that um, than Grant and Sattler are. Um, but the fact that he's the one that says, you know, and he's got t- so many brilliant brilliant, um, lines. brilliant lines that, that really, I think, strike home. And he is, in a lot of ways, uh, the conscience of the entire movie, right? But uh, the one, the big one is life finds a way, right? Um and I think that that's, that's interesting because he's very much on the scientific evolutionary side of things. And the fact that he speaks so much kind of prophecy to everything that happens in the movie from, from basically him showing up, right? He sees or foresees the destruction of the, the dinosaurs to the, to the, the surrounding world. He I called think it's it. Just he called it, he yeah. called it, and it's so brilliant. And I love that dinner scene. When they're all around and Hammond's just expecting them to just that was a lunch scene. A lunch scene, yeah, and they just he's expecting them to just love everything he's doing, and led by um, uh, Ian Malcolm's character, they all shoot it down. They are, so all start saying, you know what, this isn't what life is. That quote right there, where he says, "Scientists so preoccupied whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should actually," and that actually speaks a lot of volume. And when you're talking about the whole like you know life finds a way and whatnot. Um, in the movie, like in the helicopter scene where like they're trying to actually like, you know, buckle up their stuff, you know, it does foreshadow regarding to when um, Alan, Sam Neill, is, has two female parts and he can't actually, you know, like, what you call it, get them together and everything like that. Cause, but because he ties them together ties and them makes together them work. Because of the foreshadowing, like knowing that the dinosaurs are female the dinosaurs and life was ever found a way for them to actually still you know, procreate. Still pro- yes. procreate. So he's got the two female parts of the, of the seatbelt that he's trying to clip together. He can't do it. So he ends up tying them together. Just, just because you know he has to has to be secure before it lands. And basically, what like a John uh, John Goodman, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is like saying, like life will find its way to actually for what you think you might you know playing godlike. Yeah, and they ended up using because of this. They ended up using. They even tell you why they used the frog uh, uh, DNA DNA, and that just showed you that some frauds at the time. This I'm is Mr. true. DNA. Some frauds actually change their sets, and that they use the wrong frog 
for I this. I didn't even know about that. I got to be honest. That actually got me through a quiz question when I was in the sixth grade. I remembered this. I did. <laughs> Swear I did to too. God. <laughs> yes. I think what's some, somewhat interesting, though, about this movie, where, where it was in time, is uh, you had Ellie who, who made this great comment. She said, you've picked out some of the, you know, the plants in this building because they looked pretty. They're th- thrown 65 million years into the future in an ecosystem that they don't know. They're going to fight back. And it's like it, it kind of goes back to the same Harkin of should should you be doing this? Not, not not just should you be doing this, but you haven't even thought it through to the to the plants you've put in the foyer that could kill kids in your in your in your uh, pretty much a cautionary tale of about the dangers of playing God. Right. And, and I think that there's something about I guess there's a difference that I see about playing God and just creating dinosaurs because they're not actually creating the dinosaurs out of nothing. They're creating it out of presupposed material. Right. So there's a predicate for it. There's there's already DNA on the planet. They're not. It's yeah. not like they're just clapping their hands. And that's kind of what Malcolm says: is you didn't earn it. You didn't. You didn't go through the process and yeah. and earn the origin. You just stood on the shoulders of someone else. You know, may that be God. May that be someone else. You just kind of clapped your hands, and there it was, based on someone else's work. And I love the fact that Jeff Goldblum is kind of like the hero in a way. He's just like trying to go, hey. This is all amazing and fantastic, and it's seriously like a change. We can't believe there's dinosaurs walking around, but this is wrong, you know? I like this one thing that says, I think it was uh, Jeff Goldblum. He said, God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. This was uh, the the female, right? Man Mm -hmm. destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Women inherit the earth. (laughs) It made me laugh. Right? It was like, what the hell? So something that kind of struck me again, watching it, revisiting it, you know, kind of at an older age, is how logical it all seems. Like it it seems possible, right? The science behind it. Maybe we may not be there right now, but it sure as heck seems like we could be. We're really close. And I and one of my favorite parts is it is twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, anything can happen at this point. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite parts is the, uh, I guess, the, it's kind of a ride where they give you Mr. DNA, and he goes through all the different steps. And I remember when I was watching it as a kid, that was all over my head, right? But now when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh. So it's basically the the concept of cloning, which we clone sheep, we clone dogs, we clone, you know, we're in the process of cloning people at this point. It's not that far-reaching to say we could be here within a couple of years, which to me makes this there's already prophetic and terrifying because it's real. There's been talk, I don't know if it's true or not, but actually they've tried to clone the T-Rats. And in my head, I'm like, out of all the dinosaurs, you want to clone first. Yeah, clo- clone, clone the, the biggest, Gallimimus for fuck's sake. You clone the biggest one first. You can't clone, like, let's let's do a, a what is it, a, a herbivore or like just an omnivore. A veggiesaurus. A veggiesaurus. A plant eater. Yeah, a plant eater. Why are we going to go with the, the, fil- the fiercest one? So let's back up a second, catch us up on plot. We've got Nedry and Dotson who... Uh, Nedry is a programmer at the park. Dodson is representing a party who's paying him to get 15 species species of uh, of dinosaur off the island. And he basically says, okay, I got an 18-minute window, and in this 18-minute window is where really the shit hits the fan. But that's we're getting a little too, too far ahead. What I thought was interesting is that you said something a, a second ago, Brandon, that this is believable. Not only is it believable that dinosaurs could rule the Earth, but it's also believable that um, the science how people are unpaid also because that's the whole thing. Like he doesn't feel like he, he's <laughs> feeling <job>. unpaid <laughs> a little bit, so he's like, "I'm gonna go look elsewhere and give this." 
Well, he underbid the job, which was the problem. He underbid the job. But uh, what I was saying was, um, I just saved uh, you did well, the cat. Just yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you had uh, not only is it is it reasonable or rational that dinosaurs could could be created from their DNA, but it's also reasonable that corporate espionage would make it so that another company is trying to steal their information and trying to use it and, and get ahead of them. So the whole story seems so plausible and so reasonable that you don't think about the CG. You don't think about the the computer-generated graphics of, of the dinosaurs. You really, all you're focused on is the story. I found myself getting, you know, 19 minutes into the movie and I was like, shit, I got to take notes. This is for a, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But like you said, like you lose yourself into this movie the moment you actually see the first dinosaurs on screen. And the CGI is not that great. Don't get me wrong, guys. But there's something just how underrated John Williams' score is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, what you see the first time, it brings you back. Like the first time you saw it, you're just like, holy shit. So when the helicopter's coming in, right, and we yeah. get the first approach of the island, you get that score that we heard earlier. Um, and it's so it, – it wraps you up. I would say – to me, and I know John Williams is a legend, and he's a god, and, and he deserves well, he all of water, the, the deity um, <laughs> cl- classifications. To me, this is my favorite of his. This is the most underrated this, of his, definitely. I don't, I don't want to say. I, I, think, I think it is, because we tend to think of Indiana Jones. We think of, obviously, Star Wars. This one and Schindler's List. We were talking about Schindler's List off yeah. mic. Those two scores, to me, sum up everything that was great, that is great in John Williams. I agree with that, Brandon. I'm going to disagree uh, in part. I love the score. It's a fantastic score. But if you go back to the original Superman score and actually listen to uh, the opening the opening sequence of Superman, you you see this. You, you see this, and it's a little better, in my opinion. You see Jurassic Park. You see the lightness and the hope and the only it's – it's just completely. It, oh, it's just so much more rounded. Anyway, I, John Williams is my favorite composer. Let's I, not, let I think us. I think you're biased towards Superman. Personally, I probably am a little bit. Sorry, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got uh, we've kind of jumped around, but one of the big biggest scenes in the movie is where they're all in the jeep and they're driving up and they see the brachiosaur for the first time. Well, yes, and to me, I I, I remember when I was seven years old watching it for the first time. And when I was however old I am now, right? We want to talk about just simplistic acting that completely wraps you up. It's in those expressions that we see on Laura Dern and um, and Sam Neill. Sam Neill's face, uh, just of awe. Like they just look like kids. And, you know, one of my favorite parts is where uh, Grant reaches down and just turns. That was cool. Sadler's head. Stop and talking. Just, and yeah, just, stop. Just look, look, look at, at what it is. And look then the, our, the, yeah. the pull off of the glasses. Like, I mean, I close my eyes and I can see that scene. And I think that that, to me, is just the power of this movie. I agree, because there was a... Who was it? Because there was somewhere down the line, it was like, well, what are you going to do now? It's like, well, we're at a job. Like, Don't you mean extinct? Yeah, we're extinct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like how this how this, this movie takes place with... There's little quotes here and there. It's like, that's kind of like... It's 2020 now, but it, it takes place with like, oh my God, like, we we appreciate some of the some of the... I don't know the, the the dialogue with like okay this is funny because this is now how this life is like this world has expanded and we're, so many people back in the time had jobs and now it just evolved and it's just like this didn't happen and it did happen in so many different areas now of 2020. If you want to really draw a straight line too, we've talked about how this this movie affects movies in the future, right? So if you look at the new show Mandalorian on Disney Plus, A plus. 
Disney Great. Plus, uh, sponsor us, please. Yeah, please, God, please, that would be fantastic. Anyway, sponsored by Disney. No, <laughs> congratulations, guys. Oh Woo! I've been holding this in all night. <laughs> if you just keep saying it, it'll come true. Uh, no, but if you, you look, if you look, <laughs> if you look at the uh, behind the scenes of the making of Mandalorian, they've created this digital um, way of shooting the the film uh, or the, the the TV show where you can actually see the digital effects on the screen around the actors where this was okay i'm gonna hold up an x and you see the dinosaur and oh you you're laughing for no reason and then you know you're all you're serious again the director was actually directing what they were seeing now in a show like the mandalorian you have uh, they called it the volume as a wonderful if you look at the behind the scenes of mandalorian it's just this wonderful episode where you get this digital sphere where you're actually in a digital world with your digital effects to the digital effects as though they were real on with you in the room. We talked about how it, how you know movies and shows and how how they they kind of translate through time. This is where it started. Look at where it is now. It's and just freaking amazing. I definitely agree with you with that. And I think it takes a lot regarding to the first part of it is that you have to have actors that you is, are just believable. And you have Lauren Dern, you have Sam Neill, you have Jeff Goldblum, and you believe them because you follow whatever they're gonna do on this also movie. the kids i feel like we don't talk about the kids out there they were little little i don't want to say it but they're little buds because they, i felt like they really played the part like annoying and also had the questions of kids and they were on point with like what i would be asking if i was at that time well think about okay so our age when we first saw this movie we were the same age as Tim and Lex, right? I can, uh, yeah. We, we put ourselves completely in that part. And so I think that's one of the things that are, is great about this movie is because it doesn't really matter if you were an adult or a kid, you had somebody to relate to, or at least to see the movie and the events through. Now, as we watch this as adults, we actually see that, you know, we see behind like the doctor's opinions and things. You're just like, fuck, you're absolutely right. Well, no, I mean, the perfect <laughs> example is the fucking asshole Gennaro attorney who says, Where'd you find that? Under your seat. Is it heavy? That's probably expensive. Put it back. I'm like, yeah, put it back, kid. It's that. expensive, that's man. Two, We're trying to run a theme park. That's like $2,000 equipment right there. Uh, but we, at the same time, we all one of those fucking nights. It's so funny because I don't know about uh, Brandon's son, but my son, he was just like, I want a pair. I'm like, oh my God. I, we were all one of those. Well, dude, I, I still want a pair. Yes. Did you guys have one of those? Because we didn't get shit like that. Oh, no. I had, are you kidding me? I had toilet paper rolls. Yep. That I taped together and I looked through and I was like, I can but see you, in the dark. We had, we had, Except for his mom made him look exactly like the fucking ones from Jurassic Park <laughs> because she's incredible with like costumes and props and, and yeah. paper mache. Mama, I love you. <laughs> but you know what's funny is like just like any other thing, I had this theme park, <laughs> I feel like I think they started realizing, uh, I think it was uh, Hammond, started realizing, okay, well, if the dinosaurs don't come out, to for people to see like it's a pointless theme park so they they were they struck out they they only they didn't see all the dinosaurs that were they were supposed to see well it's like malcolm said it's like are there dinosaurs on your tour so basically uh so (laughs) i really hate that (laughs) lex and tim show up and they're they get in their really bitching ass jeeps and i don't know about anyone who didn't want a jeep like that when they were well still to this day i want a jeep like that i totally respect people who actually have their jeep like that and they have like the Jurassic park logo (laughs) whoever you are out there driving cars like that i think keep it going Fucking amazing! I swear, I drove next to that car today, and I'm like, I'm talking about you tonight. No, but seriously, it's like I I wish I knew you. I wish we were friends, yo. So um, uh, they go on this tour of of the park, and it's basically like a wild animal 
um, San, Diego Safari. San Diego Safari Park. So it's not like the zoo where everything is so you can see the polar bears. It's it's the wild animal park where you don't see shit. Because <laughs> they're always hiding in their little homes and stuff. I mean, it's the same concept. And uh, I think what's really interesting is you've got you, they chose to build this park in a place that has the worst weather on the planet. <laughs> like, like I, <laughs> yes. I mean, the hurricanes there are just horrible. Didn't they have like a real hurricane during this movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wiped out the whole set. But I mean, honestly, Sean, I'm trying to figure out what do you want them to do? Like, set it in San Diego? Yes. Okay. Or, or just plan around it a little bit better. Be like, I mean, like, come on, like, you can't be so not prepared for this to happen this can't be the first time oh a storm came out of nowhere like preparing should have been like you know what it, hap- well, it happens to rain here a lot and what was telling was uh, yeah samuel jackson which we haven't even touched on his character uh he's he amazing. said they've never shut off the power and turn it back on or not never shut down the system and shut it back on i'm like i gotta shut down my computer three or four <laughs> times a fucking day i don't know what they're right. doing well the thing is about this and i think it's hamilton hammond what's his name hammond 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 is actually kind of the blame of a lot of these things mm-hmm. He keeps saying like we spare no expense in the, you know regard to what he's did, and that's probably the reason why like you know Needy or Neddy was actually kind of like you know decided you know jump ship and actually take That'd the money. Nedry, Nedry. I think he, seriously he jumped ship because you know why I don't think Hammond was actually you know training his uh, employees or you know his job you know right now one one thing though that I think we're kind of all forgetting is the fact that none of this would have gone bad if Nedry hadn't shut everything down like if he hadn't logged into the system and and cause that problem um you know they would have yeah it, it sucks that they would have had the, the hurricane um but ultimately all the dinosaurs would have stayed in their cages all the people would have gotten back safe if nedry didn't shut down the system so it shows you that human is the reason for fall and i 100 yeah. disagree with you jeremy about him being treated poorly or not being paid enough he bid the job he was an outside contractor and they said i'm tired he said i'm tired of hearing about your financial problems he he provided his fee the fact that his fee was not sufficient to support the job was nedry's fault it wasn't attenborough's fault i think he has a, a responsibility to make sure that the park has the necessary resources to actually handle the responsibility and not hand it just one person or two people. I think that's his fault for not actually, you know, figuring that one out. Yeah, I think it's a good point to say that, hey, we've never practiced shutting down the system and bringing it back up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I'm just saying that the underpainedness of Nedry, nothing, you know, there's, there's nothing there that would suggest that, that it was his uh, his fault or that it was Hammond's fault that he would commit you know fraud and c- crimes to, to to smuggle those eighteen sounds like a lawyer yes <laughs> <laughs> no but I'm like, just saying, I, I do agree because yeah. like there's a time and place for that and like dude you're about to have the fall every every ant really matters in this in this project and it just shows you that like okay well if one person just happens to turn off this and think yeah. that you need a little redundancy yeah, so yeah you yeah. like maybe four people should know Nedry's job <laughs> right <laughs> so that's kind of Hammond's uh, yeah so like you can't put all this money on the one guy especially if you already didn't he's already not liking his job but totally so now we have kind of the most iconic scene I think there's three iconic scenes in the movie this is probably the most iconic the scene, first one which is the 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 tour breaking down in front of the uh, T-Rex enclosure second time the the second time and having kind of the t-rex escape i think the most iconic scene is when you actually see the kid like stop and he looks at the cup of water and you see it shaking for the first time so So fucking amazing i mean what that does and i mean i think that this kind of harkens back to jaws and what what makes spielberg the great director that he is is he's able to create so much suspense 
and so much terror in the viewer without showing anything, right? You don't just, see just water moving in, in a in a cup, and we know shit's about to happen. Just like the goats missing. The goats missing, and but the, what I love about Spielberg, and especially in this movie, but he also does it in Jaws, is that he sustains that moment. Right. Last week we were talking about shots that maybe got on movies that went on a little bit too long, Eddie. Yes, I agree. Yeah. This one was this one I should have had more. This one I should have had a little bit. But longer. ultimately though, what makes this scene is that it was drawn out long enough that we were kept on the edge of our seat, but it wasn't so long that we might have lost some of our interest. interest yeah. yeah. And the T Rex looks so fucking good when he comes and, out. And well just what happens, who who leaves first? Who leaves the out of the Jeep first? Genero. The yeah. attorney. Yeah. And when you know when you gotta go, you gotta go. So here's my favorite part about the making of. So you've got uh, Spielberg, who has spent all this money and time on Jaws. That shark didn't work. It was a piece of shit shark. It never worked in the ocean. And then he gets to this movie where he's got a huge budget. He's got all these animatronic dinosaurs. And he's like, fuck it. Let's make it rain. Let's have a scene where it's just raining on the the T-Rex. Even though we don't know how it's going to operate because it was never built to operate in the rain. Let's just do it. And so you had this 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 whole sequence punctuated by the T Rex like doing this like almost having a seizure. It would shake and because it was so so heavy. The latex was so heavy hanging on the frame, and it's like that's that's just that's Spielberg. That's brave filming. Like fuck everything. I'm just gonna do it the way that it's gonna be better. And he thought that it would be better in the rain because you'd see less of the dinosaur and it would be a little obscured through the windows and you'd just see. You just see enough of it to terrify you. And you had, and it was just, it was so like everybody had a that scene. Everyone had a big part to just bring you the suspense. Just kept going. So you had Sam Neill. He came out with the like the badass motherfucker that he is. He came out with a flare. It's like hell yeah, like, and he comes <laughs> out and he like he had it. He had the the T Rex. He tossed it, and the T Rex almost took the bait. And then you had. Malcolm, my yeah, he God. came out. Like, what, dude? What? Did he need to do that though? Really? No, no. That was his his idea, by the way. That was, um, what's his name? Uh, Jeff. Jeff Goldblum was supposed to. He was supposed to go like Gennaro and run and hide, and instead he was like, "What if I try to do some heroic?" It was, it was, but I was, was dumb as shit. It was perfect though. It was perfect because he was that type of. He played that type of person like. Well, like I'm a good t- scientist too. Like, I'll, let me help out too. And he was, for the most yeah. part, he was kind of. And accurate. in a lot of ways, he he did. I mean, I, I don't know if he really planned it this way, but he saved the three of them, right? The two kids and then uh, Grant, because he allowed Grant to go and rescue the kids from from the yeah, he, car. I felt like he they did. took a long time to actually help those kids. By the way, I was like, damn, those kids are getting fucked up. And like, oh, they're still in the car, just wiping up down the window to see what's happening still. It's <laughs> you know? a T-Rex stomping on the... Ch- what would you think would happen? I don't know. I, if my kid wasn't there, I would try to do fucking something rather than just watching like... He doesn't oh, like kids. I Personally, if, if my son <laughs> is smell, in Smell, baby, smell. I'm just like, turn off the flashlight. You're in, you're in your own predicament, buddy. Like, I'll talk Fuck to you in a couple minutes. See, like, if, if it was your kids or if it was Brandon's kids or if it was someone's kids I knew, I, that would be a lot different than two... I mean, honestly, I would probably go anywhere, but... Two two random kids. I can understand why they were at least hesitant to. They were at least hesitant to go like run in and save them because they really didn't know what was going on. And, I mean, the, the, the doctor knew what was going on. Like they hear by sound, so obviously let's play this. So he's not going to go rescue them right now. I would do the same thing. The doctor like get their attention and then toss it. And God help it. I'm there. It's a step away from my kids. We need to talk about Gennaro. Gennaro. 
Jen Rowe, uh, getting eaten because that that was a scene that still was he taking a shit? I don't. It looked like he, looked, he was taking a shit. Down. Yeah. He was not taking a shit. His he pants was wearing were shorts. Down. His pants were down. He, he that's the way to go, that, man. If that's you're gonna get a take scene a shit, that stuck with me from <laughs> seven years old all the way to whatever at 24 I am right now. Yes. Okay. Like that stuck with me all those however many years. 20. When the shit hits years? the fan. That restroom's not going to help the, you. The restroom is where you shit. No, it's it's not. Oh, help that's you. I thought you were it's going with that. So I thought the uh, the body count in this movie was particularly low, based on the the, the at that time, right? Yeah. Uh, so we had the original guy uh, at the beginning, and then we had the Gennaro was kind of our second big death. Yes. Let's talk about the third death of um, Wayne Knight. That was the scariest part for me. Dilophosaurus is still my favorite. They're that not, scene was fucking There's no scary. real evidence of that dinosaur ever being really alive. Why do you got to ruin Christmas? Sorry, bro. Why do you have to ruin this moment? <laughs> fucking A. That was made up. I just want to let you know that was he made up. He spit venom and it blinded How would we him. know that that actually would happen? How do we know that T-Rexes can't see movement? How you know, do we know that T-Rexes don't have fur? How do we know that Velociraptors can, can open doors? Can you imagine doors? a big T-Rex as a cat? What? Like a, t- a cat T-Rex. Just with like fur. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you, for those of you who are at home, Eddie just did the uh, the little hands for the T Rex. There's no real. It's just it's just it's cool though. They had, uh, was uh, Wayne Knight. Green. Yeah. So, Wayne Knight Newman. actually died a good way of everyone kind of wanted him to die. So I thought they left it open pretty big when when the uh, Barbasol can came yes. out of his shirt and then was covered up by the. Uh, the mud. The dirt, and I was like, "Oh, so this is gonna come back in one of the nine sequels." It never comes back. <laughs> it never comes back. I, I can't remember the Lost World. They're holding that like, one down I for a while. Like, see, I feel like in a in a roundabout way, it was seen in the Lost World, but then it wouldn't really make sense because they weren't incubated; they couldn't actually grow. I just watched the Lost World today. It was not in the Lost World. <laughs> What's it under the third one with uh, fucking- Jurassic Park three? And that's when they go back to actually the same island as Jurassic. As I watched a little bit of that today as well, Lost World. Pterodactyl. Who does parachuting over the fucking island? Who does who, who parachutes over the island that you're not supposed to go to? So let's talk about Sam Jackson. The fact that he was smoking inside, Jeez, and smoker, it was right before Sam Jackson was spo- Sam Jackson. He was badass in this movie. One, but okay, so something we talked about last week uh, was the close up. Where I, I loved about the close up in uh, the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and I feel like we talked last week about how that movie influenced movies that came after it and the the close-up of him reading over the code with the cigarette just bobbing in his mouth and it's so close up on it with you got the smoke curling out of the, the end of it it was just it's beautiful in such a, a, a bothersome way i right? used to i used to do that when i was i used to smoke you got that I used to, like, movie jobs that, i thought it was the coolest thing i was like rah, 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 the coolest thing here. i, I, I thought smoke dude, for some reason that. dude seriously the reason i started smoking because i thought it was cool don't smoke kids just drink Coffee and cigarettes. Smoke. What do they say in, in uh, that um, lo- uh, love, actually? Don't do drugs, kids. Become a pop star and they'll give them to you for free. <laughs> Become a pop star and they'll give them to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do drugs. That's terrible. So Sadler um, and the Croc Hunter, they... Uh, so, okay, uh, sorry. I'm reading my notes. So we've got uh, everyone who uh, is anyone is either out in the wilderness, so that's Grant and the kids, and everyone else is in the in the bunker-ish area. And it's uh, Attenborough, so it's Hammond, Ellie, Malcolm, who they found, which we need to talk about that scene, and uh, and the Croc, Croc Hunter, the Croc Hunter guy, which we haven't really talked about him very much. Paul Hogan? Paul. <laughs> is he still alive? No. Well, Paul Hogan or this guy? Wait, Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee? Paul, Paul Hogan is alive. That was fucking Crocodile Dundee? No, 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 no. Get he's the like, fuck no, out of here, No, it was dude. not him. No. 
Yeah. The guy looked like Crock Hunter. Anyway. He had one bill up. Anyway. I was wanting so much more from him. So how are you going to get outplayed by the Raptor? Hey, mate, he had one bill up and one off the side. All of a sudden, first off, you had Clever all their girl. shotguns Clever. ready to go. Why are they not out? Uh, so <laughs> so let's go back to uh, after Gennaro dies, three three kind of things happen simultaneously. Yeah. The first is that Grant goes to save Tim, who's gone over the side, and, and he's stuck in the tree in the car. And he has Let's on his back. Remember? Yeah, he has Lex on his back as he's going down. And then he climbs up the tree and actually tries to save, you know, little little Joseph, little Timmy, Tim Joseph Mazzello. Timmy, Tammy. Now, has anyone ever seen? Himself. Have Have you seen The Cure? I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. He was in there. He was. But yeah. he was also in a movie called The Cure, which is if anyone has seen see, seen that movie or anyone who hasn't seen it, go out and watch it. It's fantastic. Go out and also watch Radio Flyer because he was one Radio of the Flyer. kids with Elijah Wood. Hell yeah, Radio he was Flyer really was really fucking badass. good. You're watch The Cure. Just watch the beginning of Up. So emotional. Times. <laughs> just <It's the> same <laughs> emotional impact that you're also get. radio flyer was so emotional bro dude that movie was emotional uh, you know you, you know he in fact he was in about uh the pacific and the social network that's right he was yeah, yeah. social network is there a reason why he decided to just like just climb down after like trying to can he just climb away from the you know from the jeep you know, after he got the kid. Yeah, I'm oh, around to the side of the tree? Yeah, just like, you know, hey, instead of going Probably trying to get down. Probably would have made you can sense. Go, you can go to your right a little bit, but you know? Would that have made a fun movie moment? It made him a little smarter. No, Steven Spielberg was like, hey, bro, you need to climb right down the middle of the tree because <laughs> I'm going to have this fucking car that's going to come down and terrify you because it's not just the dinosaurs that are wrong in this movie. It's everything's it's trying realistic, to kill you. because you're a dinosaur scientist. You're not really uh, anything else. So like, you don't know that the you don't know that the tree's going to fall. Hands like, down, still one of, one of my favorite... Oh, six, uh, idiot dinosaur scientist. That's my favorite thing you right. said. Still one of my favorite parts of this movie <laughs> is when they get down the, the tree... And they are running away, and then they realize that the, the car is going to flip over, and so they kneel and they go right through the sunroof. And the little kid's like, "Well, we're in the tr- the car again, and we're back still, the, in the truck." The dumbest single line, but it's still one of my very favorite mo- lo- movie lines ever. Something that our kids would say is, "Like we're back in the truck, we're back in the car." You um, <laughs> <laughs> shit! I just yeah, said you're like shit. So basically, uh, Sam's got the, or uh, Sam Neil's got the kids, uh, nice and safe, and they go up into the tree to. Look at the brachiosaurs, and Malcolm is still in in the uh, he's still in the shitter remnants of the hut, the shitter. <laughs> yeah. um, and being all sexy shirtless, by the way, Maya might add. Yeah, what the, the fuck is that all about? Like, <laughs> and that's where uh, Laura De- Dern came in the rescue. Yes, I like the fact that seriously, beginning of the movie or during the movie, he was like seriously flirt. trying to like flirt the shit out of like you know like yo, you know the husband's right there and that's shit. Husband. Let me- uh, boyfriend. They were, oh, boyfriend? They were dating. Let me ask you a question, Ed. Let me ask you a question. Seriously. Yeah. Favorite character. W- what, no, what do you call a dinosaur, uh, a blind dinosaur? Do you think he saw us? No, dead. They're all dead, okay? <laughs> They're all you gone. Blind dinosaur dog. Still dead. <laughs> ruff, do, ruff, ruff, ruff. do you think he saw us, Rex? <laughs> yeah, I saw the movie, too. <laughs> oh, I love this movie. Uh, so. <laughs> so Sam Neill becomes, uh, becomes a babysitter. <laughs> right, and he watches Timmy and Lex, Lex. and uh, overall everyone else is trying to turn on the, the electricity back and tur- turn off the power and turn it back on. Right, so but Samuel Jackson goes tries to do this himself by well, himself. Well, they shut the system down and they trip the breaker, so he's got to go on the other side of the compound and re- re- we switch the breaker on. And that's the last time you ever see Sam Jackson right there, man. He's like, <laughs> oh, no, we, fuck, see, we see his arm. 
<laughs> he could still be alive. Yeah. All you see is his arm. Really. I feel like yeah, I well, didn't you see him if he comes in the next one and he's all armless. He's like, oh, I've been, I've been stuck on this island for this four years. Get your motherfucking ass off my motherfucking I'm tired of these island, motherfucking dinosaurs. <laughs> Uh, okay, so no, one of the things that I absolutely loved, and I think definitely caught it now um, when I'm older, kind of analyzing it, is that in a lot of ways this movie is is kind of this coming of age uh, story about um, <laughs> Jesus, oh, dude. Easy on the drinks, COVID, man. motherfucker. Shit. It's about Grant kind of coming of age as as a potential uh, caring father figure, um, and one of my favorite lines that I you know I wouldn't have caught it when I was seven or eight. Um, but Lex says, and she's freaking out at this point. And this is right, right before they climb down and scale the wall. Uh, but she's freaking out, and she says, "You know, he left us. He left us. He left us." And one of my favorite lines that I'd never ever really, really realized was when Grant says to her, "But that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to be there for you." And this is the, what he, his transitional kind of character throughout the entire movie is to, for him to become this really compassionate and caring person. So in the end of the movie, when you know he's got the two kids you know, putting their heads on him and sleeping and just he feels and looks like he's feeling at home. To me, it makes the movie kind of a, a purpose to the whole terror of everything. Well, it gives his character a transition, which I think is really nice. He becomes not just a stodgy paleontologist. paleontologist. He actually starts to... Dino scientist. Dino scientist. So back to the, um, back to the priming of the... Uh, of the uh, circuit breaker. You've got Samuel Jackson who tries to go do it himself, like you were saying, Eddie. And then you've got horrible idea. He, he's what? taking too long, right? Yeah. And so what happens? Uh, he just disappears. And so uh, <laughs> the last time you ever see him, dude, <laughs> you see his arm. So all of a, all, all of a sudden, uh, she, uh, what's her name? Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. I always forget her name. I should know her name. Ellie uh, decides like this is taking too, too long. I'm gonna go do this myself, and she's badass. I think right? she's fucking dope in this she's movie. Dope. She, she takes the croc hunter with her. Yep, Had, and she Crocodile didn't want the croc. <laughs> she didn't want the croc hunter with her. No, she just wanted to go alone. Yeah, and, Paul Hogan. Like, yeah. Where, <laughs> and this is where they're is in Paul, Paul Hogan. This is where they're Crocodile in Crocodile Dundee three. Yes, this is where they're in their uh, little like bunker, <laughs> and this is where I think where Hammond's just like trying to still save face. Like, it's just a uh, little hiccups. Little yeah. hiccups. And All major theme parks have hiccups. Yeah, and this is where Malchemus is like, <laughs> if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the Pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> and that made me track up. I never actually got that quote till like now. I was like, oh my God, this is actually a really funny movie too. So Ellie, Ellie saves the day. She puts the power back on and that's when Tim gets electrocuted as, uh, as they're climbing out of the... To forever to get down. Yeah, forever. He deserved it. He did deserve it actually. So that brings us to kind of a, one of my favorite parts of the movie, which I think... Is one of the most I, I don't know. You've got all this action. You've got all these dinosaurs. You got all this great stuff. My favorite scene is when John Hammond is sitting at the table eating ice cream, and Ellie comes, and they have that conversation. And he talks about how the first thing that he ever did was a flea circus, and everything was motorized, and there was a, a trapeze fleas, and there was, and the kids actually would say to their parents, oh, "I can see them. I can see the fleas." He wanted to show them something with this park, not just be fake he wanted to have something that was real and tangible they could love and touch he did that and i guess i found it really humanizing and i found his character kind of very uh kind of come come around from this he wasn't this crazy mad rich guy who all he wanted to do was money he actually wanted to provide us something he wanted to provide something special something like disneyland like yeah, Mr. Walt Disney. 100%. I, I, but one of the things, though, I, I, I appreciate that. Okay, that's one of my favorite scenes, too. And I was actually on my notes. I was like, we need to talk about that scene. But one of the things that I, I got from that scene is the fact that he's so delusional and blinded 
that he he's you know his grandkids are out there possibly dead possibly dying possibly being digested at that moment and he says we've got the bumps but we can work it out right and he and he says next time and then ellie says in just a beautiful acting moment there is no next time this is it right and he doesn't want to let it go and i do appreciate the fact that he does it because he wants to give the the people something real one of my favorite lines comes from uh, that first lunch um when Genero Genero is saying, you know, we can we can charge however much we want, however much we want, two thousand, ten thousand dollars, right? And he says, no, everyone in the world has the right to enjoy these animals. And I mean, so yeah, he's a he's a a thoughtful and good, compassionate person. But ultimately, we see that he's a delusional person. He doesn't know when to say no. I think you're, I think you're right. I think his delusion though is deep seated. It's not malicious. It's it's part of his personality. There's no, there's nothing. He's not trying to destroy the world. He's actually trying to make the world a better place. But in doing so, he doesn't understand his, the folly of his actions, and he can't comprehend that he can he can't comprehend that bringing the dinosaurs is what's killing the people. Like his the fleas. His dreams. His dream yeah. is actually the one that's eating. You know, the lawyer. And that's just, it's kind of funny too. I mean, because like the dinosaurs in, are not the villains, you know? The villains is just mankind, you know? Their thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think uh, I'm going to add to this is the acting by Timmy and Let's is on point. Like, you never, you don't see child acting this, the, the, like how they did at that time. Right. And I think where we see it, I'm, oh, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, um, but where we see it the most is the kitchen scene. Right. To that me, that's amazing. still that's a, that's a one still of the bit. most terrifying, suspenseful moments in history of, of cinema. I will actually before we get to the kitchen scene, because yeah, I actually agree with you 100 percent on that. But my favorite scene is actually when uh, what's his name? Muldoon. 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 Oh, and, and when he's actually going into the woods and going to the jungle and he's trying to sneak upon, you know, one of the dinosaurs. But the dinosaurs do evolve and they actually, you know, outsmart man right there and i just love that when he the dinosaurs kind of did a little decoy thing and he goes clever girl you know because he knew that he fucking got it and who told you that it was right at the very very beginning beginning. right we see that this is you know that the idea that this is for all foreshadowed at the very beginning and we see just how i I think you're right right they not only have they've evolved which i think they have but they've all maybe always been smarter than us exactly in a weird creepy 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 way they want your attention on one at the same time they're already planning an attack on, from the sides. From the yeah. sides, and and this I think was was <clears throat> so at the very beginning before the lunch uh, when we saw the 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 paddock that held the raptors, you didn't actually see the raptors. All you heard was their sounds, and you saw them scary eat the, sounds. Yeah, yeah, scary sounds. So when you when you actually got the shock of seeing them for the first time when Ellie was re uh, priming the the breaker. They were terrifying. They were coming through at her. They were relentless. And then all of a sudden she gets free and she's running up. And it's a com- once again, it's Alan does not understand the gravity. He's just calling for in the middle of the of the, you know, little guest area or whatever you want to call it. Muldoon's already been killed by raptors. They're out there. We clearly see in the next scene that they're going to break in and start chasing the kids to not know for him not to know that the raptors were loose because he was the one who, you know, described how the raptors hunt. I thought it was very interesting that he was the one who didn't know that they were out and loose. And, and uh, you know, like of all the people who said, oh, no, watch your sides. Like, watch your they're going to come from the side. Like, it's him. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about the kitchen scene, because I actually think agree that that's probably like the climax of the film right there. You're just like, holy shit. You know, there were worse dinosaurs than the T-Rex and everything like that. And th- that th- all of a sudden, like those dinosaurs, it. 
that was probably the best part of it. I felt like it was most close up and they were actually moving around like, oh my God, like it's, I feel like that part of that scene still holds up to this day. It's like, okay, I like this scene right here. This scene holds up for me. I enjoy these raptors. They look, obviously, like nowadays, it's a little bit different, but this was different. Like, I felt like this was the first of its kind, and I really enjoyed the lifelike of the, the raptors, of their movements, and they were working in pats. Well, something the, you yeah. don't freaking ever see, and you all of a sudden you were afraid of raptors. At it. While the digitals weren't perfect, they didn't distract from what they were trying to accomplish. Oh, yeah. Like, you didn't look at them and go, oh, my God, they look terrible. You went, okay, I, I'm buying in. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. I think we also need to think, 1993, we looked at that and we said, holy shit, that's what they look like, right? I we didn't have anything to compare it to. I still went, holy shit. You know, like, yeah. you know, even like, you know, 25, 27 years later, you're like, yeah. holy shit. It right. still holds up. And I think one thing, you know, Eddie, you were kind of mentioning it, is that kitchen scene is it, it's, it's a, cl- uh, what do you call it? It's an expert course in creating tension in film, right? And I think that that Spielberg does this a little bit. Well, he doesn't do it a little bit. He starts it in Jaws, right? But he perfects it here in that one scene. Um, everything from using the reflections of the the stainless steel to the sounds to Sean, you were just mentioning the 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 clicking of the uh, the, the toenail thing, um, the claw. I mean, everything in that scene, I, I mean, I've seen this movie, you know, a dozen times and I'm still watching it, knowing that the kids are going to be okay and sitting on the edge of my seat. And I think that that is a masterclass. That's the word I was looking up. A masterclass in creating tension and suspense in, in films. It did have like a Kubrick type of vibe of like The Shining and everything like that. So especially a Spielberg feel. <laughs> it was a little, little Timmy and Lennox. No, I got, I got you, you exactly. got it, you know, yeah. because like, you know, during The Shiny, like, you know, like Danny was getting chased in the kitchen and everything like that. By himself. Yeah, by you know, himself. By uh, John and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But it was like, kind of like the vibe like that, you know. I, I totally get what you're saying. I think that um, Spielberg is not afraid to draw influence from other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just what he what he's always done. And him and Kubrick were, yeah, we're friends. But if you look at that, he knew... Spielberg is one of those people who can look and see a shot before he actually films it. And I think that that was there was three shots that that were in his head before he even started filming the movie. The first was the um, T-Rex coming over the uh, with the kids and getting and, and attacking the Jeep. The second was the raptors the raptors in the, in the kitchen. And I think the third was the final the final sequence of the movie. Which I know he didn't have that in his head at the very beginning, but just the concept of of the raptors attacking on the bones of you know they were on the bone on the prehistoric bones being attacked by the thing that they were actually that on. part you know was I mean? pretty cool. Yeah, I I would also add even though it goes to a different um, kind of a different vibe is is the intro right the the there's dinosaurs right that that first introduction to what the heck this park really is all about. Um, and but I, because I think that those are st- the four of the absolute most perfect shots in film history, and I mean the fact that they all happen within one movie speaks volumes. Did anyone else feel like that part felt small though? Like I felt like all of a sudden, and, and, you know, what's funny is like yeah, the the main entrance where the 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 bones were were at with the T Rats. I I didn't notice it until like I noticed it, but then I realized my son, my oldest. He was like, "That's a small park," and I was like, "I looked at it. I was like, I never thought of it that way." Like I, that was a small visitor. Yeah, center. A small visitor, and I was like, "Oh, well, wow. especially when you see the new one and it's, it's like vast." Yes. This one, I, I feel like, yeah, there was no proportion. They had no many, no idea how many people were getting. They were destined for fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who puts them in a jeep for guys? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, and then it's just like it's cool how the yeah. the, the siblings. Elevated. 
they got separated a little bit. The siblings got separated. I'm going back a little bit. But they got separated, and it almost like they each had to accomplish their own fear alone. And that was cool to see that a little bit. And the fact Growth. That, Le- that Lex, in a lot of ways, saves... I don't want to say saves the day, because they all kind of work together. But the fact that she... Um, has always been kind of mentioned as like she knows her computer. She's she knows, a nerd. And a t- I love that she person, says, "What is yeah. it? She, she says it's a, it's a CD-ROM." Oh yeah, she's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we've got flash drives. <laughs> I, <know this>. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know it too. But uh, back in the time, you know, we we're like, oh, what the hell? She's a genius. But the fact that she kind of contributes too, it's it's like the kids aren't helpless. They're they're just as as capable of of helping each other and themselves. As any of the adults are, and I just think you know maybe it's it's a kind of a, a silly thing, but I think it's really cool how they all band together to really kind of work together. Yeah, there was that uni- uh, that unity vibe, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, and especially when the T Rex comes around and saves them at the end of it, which I actually thought was awesome, and I love that scene. But seriously, when that whole like banner comes down, like you know, dinosaurs rule the earth. That's the one scene in this movie that I cringe so fucking much. Oh, I love it. I hate it. Oh, I think no. it's just like. Come on, you didn't have to do that. It always comes down to like, forget man. We have animal against animal here, and we just say, let's say a, a pack of animals against one bigger animal. We'll we'll see who dominates who. Well, and it became the the T Rex became the hero. Yeah, which is unlikely. It was a twist in this movie. Uh, T Rex was the hero. And I will say this: um, one one of the, the villain things, we haven't talked too much about the differences between the book and the and movie. Uh, in the book, there's a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're. That's why it's part of this section. Tim was the older, and Lexi was the younger. Tim knew the software. Lexi did not. So the concept of switching those parts and making it an older sister, and having her have the expertise of a hacker, or you know, they, it was a hacker. A hacker. They, they threw that word hacker out like in uh, Matrix, tossing yeah. toss around. Actually, did you know was the screenplay writer of the story? So I mean, like, it's always great when you have Michael the author. Blake. Yeah, Michael, like the author contribute to the screenplay I always feel wait, like wait. that's the best thing I just want to make sure that I heard you right Sean you were saying that Lex is actually Neo no I was saying you said that she was in the Matrix <laughs> she was not in the I don't Matrix. know was she, uh, <laughs> she was the Morf- one Morpheus I think it was Morpheus maybe she bent the that spoon with her mind that brings us to the end of our, of our cocktail really? <laughs> and that brings us Brian to the Cox. oh Brian Cox <laughs> was he in it he's doing McDonald's commercials now I heard it <laughs> And that brings us to the end of review. Now it's time in the podcast where each of the hosts provides our scale of zero to five. Eddie, who's checking his shit out, can you take us through our scale, please? Oh, yeah. I wasn't doing that. Uh, zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. Uh, one, a feel-good first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Three, you're going to uh, Uber or lifting home. Four, a rough morning walk of shame. Five, you blackout, spring break, shit face, spring break drunk. Oh, I said it twice. Uh all right. Well, it's been a long night. Uh, so, gentlemen, let's start with myself. I'll do. I get this out of the way. Wow! What did you? I'm glad, I'm glad you were so decisive. Yeah. <laughs> what did you? Learn? I want everyone to know that that's a random guess too. I want you to know that. if it doesn't already sound like it. It's for some really reason, I thought he was going to do me for a second. I was like, oh, okay. I was that's what she said. Uh, I hope. I hope he doesn't do you. Anyways. <laughs> Listen to start to off, because I, I know everyone else goes in long detail and just blah, blah, blah. But I like to go quick to the point. And honestly, this movie... Eddie, have you ever listened to your uh, your exits? I do. Because they are not short to the point. You guys are super long. You have this... No, 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 no. The no, length no. of no this joke, is as no, long no, as the tour no at Jurassic Park. Your shit is fucking long. And I've edited that shit. I feel like I have to... Edit it down five more. Minutes in, I'm like, fuck, he's I, still going I at it. I feel like I have to compare with you guys. You guys all have no, these no, notes. No, no, you keep going. I go on top of my heart. I speak from my <laughs> heart. You got okay? a full heart. 
Yeah. Clear eyes. Can't lose. Dude, this is why it's lawn. This is why it's lawn, Brandon. So Steven Spielberg, like I feel like honestly, like he did great movies in between Jaws and and Jurassic Park. But for, for I feel like he had round two with this movie, with what he was trying to do again with Jaws, but this time he had the technology to do it with. And you said something like that earlier, Sean, with like it was just like it finally caught up. Like technology caught up with time, and he took advantage of it. This was the first movie ahead of its time. I feel like it holds true still to this day. You can have a five-year-old watch it, and it can grab their attention. And for that, I feel like that that holds a lot of value, especially nowadays with this world that we live in. Um, there's so much CGI, almost too much, and you want a little bit of reality still left in the movies, and not so much green screen on everything. Um, and I feel like this movie has a good balance of that. It has a good balance of you feel like you're almost in Costa Rica. Like this is—is is this place real? Like it—it makes—it's it's a real place. And you see animals running through the uh, in herds. There's so much. I know I'm going on right now, but uh, I feel like it's a movie that it's a classic to my heart. And compared to, uh, I know uh, I feel like. I'm a little biased towards the movie, but I really enjoyed watching it. I forgot I almost had to do a podcast in this movie. I was just enjoying watching the movie. Uh, I'm going to give it a 0.5. Half a shot. Half a shot. Yeah. Uh, Sean? Wait, is 0.5 a shot or half a shot? A shot, actually. It's a shot. 0.5 is a shot. A half a shot is 0.25. 0.25. I apologize. I said a shot. So it's a 0.5. It's a 0.5. It's a shot. It's a shot. Okay. Shut up, Brandon. Okay. Was a sixth oh, of a shot? Yeah, that's. I mean, all right, Brandon. We all know you're the you're the half this episode. Just, so let's keep going. That's when you just lick the salt, but don't take the tequila. <laughs> <laughs> just put my tongue in a little bit. Yeah, just, just lick, or just you know, take the chaser. Okay. So I am. Uh, I am. I'm biased. This is a Steven Spielberg movie. I think Steven Spielberg is. Uh, the greatest living director, probably um, top five directors of all time. I think he'll go down his history in history as as producing more movies that are, have mass appeal than anyone in the history of of movie making. This movie is a uh, we talked about it last time last time a little bit with uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It is the quintessential movie that brought and merged CG and miniatures and stop motion and live action. It was the template. And from the time that the T-Rex attacked the first time, they attacked Lex and Tim in the, in the Jeep on that road, the movie didn't stop. It just kept going. There was never a chance to breathe. There was never a chance to... There was never a chance to do anything except for watch and enjoy. And I think that the music was fabulous. I think the acting was fantastic. I think that there was there was nothing wrong with this movie in the slightest. Um, like Jaws before it, I totally agree with you, Ed. I think that this was round two, and instead of hitting you know a home run, he hit a grand slam. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I just I think this was ninety three was the epitome of Spielberg. He this is where he met his apex. He did Schindler's List, uh, you know, in the same year. He had done E.T. He had done uh, uh, the the Indiana Joneses. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's like he knew exactly how to make a movie. And from the moment he started to the moment he finished, this was the perfect movie that he intended to make. Does it have flaws? Not many. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the CG is a little tired. The sets are a little, you know, a little 90s. But other than that, there ain't much wrong with this movie. Um, and I watch it, and I, I'm going to tell you right now. I sat down, and I started it, 
and I didn't take a note until 37 minutes in, and I had to stop the movie and start over again so I could start taking notes. This, like Jaws, and I, I know I'm biased, is is perfect. It's a zero. It's literally it's it's a perfect film. This is why I go to the movies. This is this is why I love movies. Period. God bless you, Sean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, go ahead. So um, Jurassic Park for me is that unique of a film that could be uh, able to take you back to the first time. And when you see it and you still feel the same experience and wonder and just watching it the other night with Hannah, we were like on the edge of our seats and just completely lost in it. Just like when Eddie and I saw it for the first time in the movie theaters, that was like our very first summer blockbuster phenomenon. And it was just an amazing experience. I think the cast is amazing. Classic William score. I think it's the most underrated score that he has. There is some CGI little flaws here and whatnot, but I think Spielberg, and I'm thankful for Spielberg for just making this movie. Um, I will always be thankful for him just giving my summer vacations, and I will keep that forever. So for me, this is a this is a shot, hands down. So I watched this movie, and I had forgotten how beautiful a movie it is. I really did. And I, like I said, I've seen this movie a dozen times. Um, it's one of the few experiences in theaters that I can literally remember. Right, I can remember going. Uh, with my with my grandma was there and my grandpa was there and my parents were there and we were in Woodland Hills and we were sitting down in this theater and we were watching this movie and I'm going oh my god I'm at this R-rated movie even though it's PG-13 but I pretended like it was R-rated like I, this is my first big kid movie big person movie in theaters and I remember how I, uh, kids around me were terrified right there were kids around me and they were freaking out my cousins were there they were they were scared and I remember it wasn't I wasn't terrified I was just in complete awe. Right. And I, I kind of felt the same way that Grant and, and Ellie's feel when they see the dinosaurs, because I looked at that and I said, oh, my God, that's a dinosaur. And I remember after that, probably like so many other kids, I went out to the, the bookstore and to the library and I, I bought and got everything I could possibly get on dinosaurs because I was so fascinated. I wanted them to be real, even though I just saw them completely terrorize an entire people group. That said, when I came back and I watched it, you know, the other day and I, I sat down and I said, wow, this movie is no different than I remember it. It's perfect. Uh, and then I said, you know, the CGI is a little bit tough. And I had to kind of check myself. And it wasn't until I was here and thinking about it uh, that I realized, you know what? I'm looking at it from 2020 and not, t- not 1993. And I'm looking at it not so much from what we have now, or I'm sorry, I was looking at it from what we have now, as opposed to what we have now is because of this, right? The scene in the field where they're all running with the, with the dinosaurs, the way that they look up at the dinosaur and they track the dinosaur. And we, we know that they do it with a tennis ball and they just say, look at the tennis ball. But the fact is that this laid the groundwork and the foundation for that. And my God, it is a perfect movie. It's a zero. It will forever be a zero. Uh, Lost World is a 12 for me. I need to be <laughs> fucked. Like, I need to be shit-faced, throw up, wake up, get shit-faced again, have one of you guys throw me in a pool, wake me up again, and then get shit-faced and before get, I can get chaser through for that. that. <laughs> I, I don't even need a chaser. My chaser needs to be more whiskey because it's a terrible movie. But Jurassic Park is hands down uh, the, the movie that I think... I think uh, that and Schindler's List are the movies that Spielberg should forever be remembered for, even with E.T., Sean. I know. No, no for me, that's also zero. Uh, so, Eddie, when you uh, get those scores and divide them by four, what does that give us? 25. 
I mean, a point two five. A point two five. Should yes. we round up or should we round? No, that's a point two five. It's a solid point oh one. It's a point. It's a it's a solid point two five. So I think that actually makes it the top of our list, Jeremy. If I'm wrong, it's a tie of first place. Tie of first place What's with what? Fill the dreams. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's a tie to first place. It's up there. So it's a first place is is a tie for, of of Jurassic Park and Field of Dreams. What's right after that? The perks of being a wallflower is a zero point five. Okay, yeah, so it's definitely it's definitely tied for the first. I'm curious to see where you know some other movies rank out at, but I I, I feel like we've set a pretty high bar here. It's got to be but almost, deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly oh, yeah. so. And I then mean, below that is the sound of music and Joker and Jaws. Well, and wait, way below that is like Garden State and Point Break. I think is way the fuck down there. <laughs> But Point Break. Uh, There's right. no reason to bring Point Break into a fucking. I think Keanu Reeves was supposed to be. Uh, was Sam Neill? Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Harrison Ford was supposed to play Sam Neill's part, you know? Yeah, you just can't keep going back to that well. Yes, we can. All right, if you enjoyed your review yes, or you're a fan of the podcast, Get off my please plane. subscribe. Wherever you're listening, and leave us a five star review on iTunes. No ticket. If you're interested, uh, you can find us on Instagram at the dot gentleman podcast. You can visit our website at gentlemanpodcast.com. Or if you want to reach out, you can do so by email at hosts with an S at the gentleman podcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. For legal reasons, we don't condone or encourage anyone under the age of 21 to drink along with us. And of course, because we live in a ridiculous society where people are stupid, stupid, stupid. we must ask you please don't drink and drive. You're listening to us in the car. Again, Eddie, you want to you want to shout out or are we, we? Yeah, shout out. We'll go with uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you guys, and uh, let's do Virginia, uh, Washington. I don't know Washington, Virginia was a city in Virginia. Uh, also, Palm Bay, Florida. Uh, let's do it with uh, Hawaii, uh, Kalua Kona. Is that pronouncing that right? I love Kalua, and I, I like Kona. Love Corona. <laughs> I mean, I'll be I like sorry if that yeah. came out wrong. Right. Oh, right. Kaluna. my God. Yeah. I'm at the beer. Uh, and then uh, Rotsbury, Massachusetts, uh, and Seattle, Washington. Kirkland, Washington, too. I Columbus, so. Ohio. Thank you guys for listening. Thank spread, you all for spread listening. Us. Spread us. Spread tell us your like friends. The only way we're going we're gonna to spread is if you tell your friends and family. Spread and, us better uh, than Rona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, we're still locked That's down. It's not and- a great fucking <laughs> sl- great. If you're going to spread something, spread us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't social distance three and a half gentlemen. <laughs> You don't need a mask to listen to our podcast. <laughs> What'd you say? By the way, when you're driving, please don't wear that mask. Yeah, no, not when you're alone in the car. That's just embarrassing. All right. Windows up. Mask Cheers, on. gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Oh, what movie do we have next week, Jer? I believe we have Mr. Leo DiCaprio. He's so hot. The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. See you next week. No, our first and a half. Wait. One A, one B. Shit.